Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, featuring scientists, practitioners, experts and everyday people with knowledge, tips, experience and great stories to share to help you get a grip of your life. We'll give you insights into a range of subjects, including reducing your stress, improving your emotional intelligence, health and well-being and controlling your negative thoughts. By doing this, you'll be able to improve your resilience, confidence, control and perform better every day to live a more productive and purposeful life. For a free resilience ebook, listen through to the end for details. Here's your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. So today I'm talking about confidence and I'm talking to a woman called Jo Emerson. Good morning, Jo. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And like many of our podcasts, I detect a British accent. Yeah, very British, I think. Although I think there's probably a mixture of nationalities in my um, in my heritage. But yes, born and bred. Ooh, tell me more. Are you um, are you one of those uh, mongrel types? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, so my granny was Welsh. My grandfather was American. Um, I don't know who my biological father was because I was donor conceived. So. Um, there's all sorts in here. I, apparently, I look quite Swedish, so maybe there's some Scandinavian in here as well. Who knows? But I was born and bred in uh, the UK. I'm having one of those living DNA tests done at the moment, so I've, I've, I've sent it away now. I, um, I'm from Newcastle originally, in the northeast, obviously, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be of true Viking heritage. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> so, um, Joe, sorry, I'm, I'm Mr. Unstructured here. Um, if you were to meet anyone, how would you describe yourself? What, type, what, what do you say you do? What do I say I do? Well, first and foremost, Russell, I'm a mother of three children, um, and they have to come first. Uh, but at work, I'm, well, I call myself a confidence coach because um, that's, that's what I do. Um, but uh, what does that mean? I guess that means I help people to, A, reach their potential, but B, do so in an authentic way. Uh, most of my clients have got lost in the cultural soup of shoulds. You know, we should be doing this kind of job and we should look a certain way and our lives should look like the next door neighbours. And the problem with that is it makes people very, very unhappy because they're not doing what's really inside them. So it's my job to help people find that on a personal level. And then I do lots of leadership development and team development work and that's more about people having the courage to have more honest conversations um, and again be kind of true to who they are and, and the role that they've been asked to play. Hmm, fascinating. So you've already started to bandy about all the, all the all the trendy words so if you don't mind should we start to unpick it a bit because okay. people people sort of chuck around this word and I, I must admit I've got really interested myself about this idea of authenticity. Okay it's, that's it's, the trendy word okay come yeah. On. Come on, let's start with a bit of authenticity before we get into confidence. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same thing. So, yeah, okay. Okay, contentious. Carry on. <laughs> well, okay. So, my view, and this is born from personal experience, is that um, the only way to be truly confident is to be who you actually are, which is authenticity. Uh, most people... Um, I think, oh, well, most people, I'm going to change that. I think our culture maybe teaches us that confidence is uh, quite loud and quite brash and quite in your face. Um, and often the people who are like that are wearing a mask and they're not being true to who they really are. And actually, for me, confidence is the ability to say, 
I'm struggling or I don't know or I'm not great in this area and for that to be okay. And that's authentic. And when we break through that mask and start being who we really are, we start building lives that are based on something genuine rather than all these shoulds that we've been handed down from other people who didn't really know what was going on and, you know, how to have a life. And so that's why, for me, confidence and authenticity are, in fact, probably the same thing. So I, I like I like that. It makes a lot of sense. I think people confuse confidence with showmanship, don't they? And, um, yeah. And that, yeah. this idea that you should be dancing around being a public speaker or um, yeah. going on X Factor, that's called confidence. But it isn't as... It's that sort of quiet determination that you, you are your true self, I guess. Yeah, well, it's self-belief. Yeah, 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 self-belief. You know, some people are naturally loud and confident. That's mm-hmm. great. But some people are naturally quiet and confident, and that's also great. Um, you know, some people bob in between the two. Most of us bob in between the two. Um, but, you know, people who've, people who've worked with have got this idea that confidence is something it's not. And if you think you have to be a certain type of person in order to be confident, you're doing yourself a disservice because confidence is in everyone, but it's unique to us all. But I like the I like the way that you're talking about this idea that people have this script about, and it's one of those you know, classic thinking errors, isn't it? This sort of script mm-hmm. of shoulds and oughts, shoulds, yeah. should haves and oughtos. So mm-hmm. I guess there's a lot of people out there sort of living fake lives in a way. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A lot of people are living. Yeah, fake lies. It's really interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I keep using this word culture and the, the cultural soup, and it, it's very sort of it's very keen for me at the moment. I'm thinking about it a lot because my clients are bringing lots of stories about how when they are living fake lies or living in the shoulds and the oughts, they find they feel very disconnected from from others. They feel very disconnected from themselves, and they're certainly not happy and thriving um and tony robbins who's you know we, we were discussing didn't we, before we started recording he's um i find him a very inspirational man and he's a, an american coach who he's like marmite some people hate him some people love him i happen to think he's great um he says to his clients stop shooting all over yourself <laughs> which i love um because you know, shoulds come with a finger wagging and they come with a sense of duty and they're quite onerous. Whereas coulds or wants or, or needs or um, what ifs, dreams, they come with a different, a different energy. There's a different, um, there's a different, what's the word? Uh, there's a different weight behind them. Mm. Um, and I suppose my job really is to help people decipher between the shoulds and the coulds, because of course we all should, you know, feed our children. We all should pay the mortgage. You know, there are shoulds that we sort of have to adhere to. Um, but having said that, if someone's lifelong dream has been to travel, and they have no dependents, then, you know, but but yeah, but but they're not travelling because they think I should save for my retirement, and you know, I should have a pension, and you know, I should have more and more. I'd be questioning that. Mm. I would be questioning that with my clients. So. Um, yeah, my, my, my father, who um, I adored, he's, he wasn't my biological father, because like I said, I was donor-conceived, but, you know, the man who, who, who brought me up and who loved me into this world, he, um, he spent 30 years in a job he hated in order to retire, but he, he died at 55, unexpectedly, and never got to retire, yeah. and that was a great lesson for me, a great lesson. 
you know, that's fascinating. And you see, I actually probably take a more extreme view than you that I don't think we should use the word should word ever. I don't think yeah. you should feed your children. I think you must feed your children. <laughs> and it's, it's like this idea of these sort of little words that really mean um, the application of effort and not outcomes. Mm. And, and actually they're the things you use to beat yourselves up. And I've worked with lots of people where you just say, look, let's get rid of that word. Let's just remove mm. it from the mm. language. Yeah. And it's quite, it's quite enabling, I find, like try and such like. It's, just, it's interesting how we have these little code words that mean I'm not going to do it. And should yeah. just mean I'm not going to do it. Instead of being honest with myself, we end up with this yeah. idea of sort of punishing ourselves instead of saying... So we punish ourselves for not achieving it, but working really hard, instead of um, rewarding ourselves for just achieving it. It's a, yeah. lack of on- it's a lack of honesty, isn't it? It is a lack of honesty. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, that word should, it, it tends to, in a lot of people, produce either a sort of um, a feeling that they are less than the should, mm. that voice in their head, or, or they rebel, of course. Mm. Um and um, and you know, and go off and cause havoc. Um, well, they, so, should, they should know better, shouldn't they? After all, <laughs> they could. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's interesting. Is I also find it fascinating in today's culture where we have this slightly in in, in the corporate world, certainly in the UK, is becoming more and more focused on this idea of. Um, engagement and happiness and, and instead of yes. you know enhancing people's like you know potential by making them accountable and getting them to perform uh, we're almost becoming frightened of our people and so words like should you really must and everything becomes quite discretionary if you're not careful and the people don't know where they stand there's a lack of sort of clarity isn't there because leaders are getting va- more and more vague because in this in the, because they're more and more less and less clear themselves about what they want people to do and so people then get into this dance of or your cultural soup of well, let's try and work out what you wanted. Oh, well, so now we know it wasn't that. So, mm. well, I should have got that better than, shouldn't I? Yes, you should. And it's like, it's, as you're right about the finger-wagging thing, it's all, and it's just this yeah. lack of honesty, it's transparency between people I find fascinating. It is, and, you know, again, you see, we go back to this word should, and, um, you, know, when, you know, when you are a leader and, and you are under pressure to deliver certain results and therefore you need to ask your team to do X, Y, and Z in order to achieve those results, there is a sense of own, own onerousness and ownership. There has to be, um, and everyone has to own their piece of the pie or, or their ingredients to, to create the pie or the cake. Um, and yes, that would come with a sense of should, I guess. Um, but as long as everyone is very clear, I think that you know we are we've agreed to. Do this sort of this type of work in order to get this kind of salary, um, and that comes with some shoulds around it. And we can be honest about where our limitations are, what we don't understand, what we do understand. So there's no shaming around people saying, "I'm sorry, I just don't know how to do X, Y, or Z. Please help." I'm not so concerned about shoulds there because there's a contract in place. You know, I come to work and I do X in order to achieve Y, which is you know, a salary. I think where the word should is more dangerous is when it comes to our emotional lives. You know, I should stay in this marriage even though it's killing me. I should um, uh, go on holiday to Ibiza every year even though I, you know, hate those sorts of holidays because everyone else is doing it. I should have a thinner body. I should dye my hair. I should 
after the worst one, I should always try to look younger than I am. I mean, what the actual are we talking about? Those are where people lose their sense of self. Because why should we all try and look younger? Why? Why? I, why? I mean, life gets better as you get older, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I don't I'm know, really do tell me. I'm really confused by that one. I'm really confused by that one. I tell my children all the time, it's rubbish. They're lying to you on the telly. They're lying. <laughs> you need to, don't. Don't try and hold on to youth. God, yeah. That's where I get, that's where the shoulds upset me more, probably, and I will challenge them more. I can sense the soapbox being uh, <laughs> Oh, pitched. I've got many of those. I've got many of those. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. So, so you see, so you so without trivialising that bit, I'm just, I'm just thinking actually because I know we're talking about the shoulds bit, but how does that link into confidence? Are you saying that's because shoulds get in the way of authenticity and the yes. and the resulting confidence? Right, I see. Okay. So, so, so unpack what you mean by confidence and 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 what's in it. Well, okay, so confidence, um, I think, um, in its purest form, aside from the authenticity piece that we've just been talking about, you know, confidence is, in its purest form, I think, the ability to, or or the sense that whatever happens, you will find a way to deal with it. Most of us are, if you drill down through the lack of confidence, what you find is actually a fear of life. A fear of feeling negative feelings or a fear of um, what the future might bring. Um, and most of my clients are on a worry train and it just goes round and around and around and around and they're caught up in fear. And if I can help people to understand that they are fearing something that hasn't yet happened and they're also believing that they can't cope. And, and yet they have plenty of evidence from the past that they have coped with bad, well, quote-unquote bad things, um, and that they can actually find ways to muddle through difficult times, then actually, you know, they are believing a lie about themselves, which is that they can't cope, mm. when actually they can, because they're still here, mm. they're coping. And also, of course, their heads are stuck in the future based on something from the past, and often my job is to bring people back into the moment. You know, you're coping now. Mm. And the future, as we know, never arrives. It's just now. And now it's a new now. And now there's another new now. And it's now. And so there's all these stories we tell ourselves, which which are based on not a lot. Just that it's fear producing fear. So confidence is... The ability to, or, or the knowledge, the deep knowledge that whatever happens, you'll be okay, and the future is 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 something that is a bridge you'll cross when you come to it. So, okay, so let's have a think then. So you talk about this. So, so if you think that the stereotypical view of um, confidence is this ability to actually conquer your fears and do stuff. So, for example, mm-hmm. people who are more confident are more likely to do professional speaking or stand up in a meeting or have a difficult conversation with the milkman or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. That comfort, so I, I like the idea that you've linked fear so heavily with it. Um, oh, yeah. Is, is, that, is, that, is that really... So, in other words, the showmanship aspect is easily confused, isn't it? Because actually confident people tend to be slightly more noticed. Yes. And um, uh, for me, it's for me, it's always been 
I've, I, I've known from the get-go as a coach that I would be dealing with people's fears. Because it's, it, to me, it's, it's obvious. The fear is the thing that holds everyone back. Mm. And, and again, sorry, cultural soup. <laughs> the cultural soup, it's all based on fear. Buy this anti-aging product because otherwise, oh, no one's going to love you because you'll have a wrinkle on your face. Or um, buy this, you know, you, you must change your sofa before Christmas because otherwise, oh, the neighbours or, or your relatives won't like you because you don't have the right sofa. It's all fear-based, and actually, the antidote to fear is is love, is acceptance, is faith. You know, it's I, I get quite um, I get quite excited when a client comes and says, "I'm afraid of public speaking," for example, and then I ask them what the fear is underneath, and when they can say to me, "Actually, it's a fear of failure or a fear of public humiliation." Mm-hmm. Then I know, then I get excited because then I know that we are dealing with something truthful. Because the, the, the lack of confidence, I believe, is symptomatic of believing believing in fear. And I actually think this is a scary world unless you believe it is. So, so if someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm frightened of public speaking, and you sort of say, okay, tell me your deeper fears, and then someone says, okay, it's fear being humiliated, found out, shamed, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. What happens then? It depends on the client, but we will we will talk a lot about um, what they are believing. Other people are thinking of them in that moment. Um, we will have a look at how they feel when they are receiving a public speech. Are they busy judging that other person who's speaking? Are they picking them apart? Because I tell you, if they're picking other people apart, they're going to be picking themselves apart. So maybe some compassion for others might be the antidote to a bit of self-compassion. But I will also do, I will also do crazy things with them. Like I will get them to just walk out into the street. With them. We'll go for a walk and coach. And I'll say, right, well, I'd like you to go up to that person over there and ask them for directions. Mm. I'd like you to go and buy a coffee for that homeless person and have, you know, a two-minute chat. Right? And we just start breaking through that fear of, I don't know what to do in the moment. I don't know what to do in the moment. Nah. Mm. And there'll be a lot. If it's public speaking, we'll do a lot of filming of them. To, to, you know, reading a letter, reading a menu, doing a bit of a public speech, reading a, a, a bit of Hamlet, you know, just breaking down all the, all the barriers around around all of that. And slowly but surely, they come to realise that their fear of other people means that they are making other people more important than themselves. Yeah. And other people's opinions are okay. more important than their own opinion of themselves. And often those people who they don't even respect themselves in the first place, which is... The most bizarre thing of all, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Have absolutely. you seen? I'm trying to think. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sort of. I'm not great with remembering people's names. I remember this experiment being done with a bunch of people who were asked to go out and lie on the floor in the middle of a public area or on a, on a, in, a in a, um, a tube station or something like those or an underground station or something. Okay. And it was this idea of being able to sort of separate yourself from the environment so you could just stand. And this idea of standing around just point, pointing to the ceiling, point to the ceiling, point to the sky or something. <laughs> and um, a lot of people have used those sorts of techniques, haven't they, to sort of stiffen people's resolve and say, hey, why are you so, so worried about what people think of you? Yeah. Because, you know, doing a dramatic statement like this, another thing someone once taught me was go up and look at, look at people directly in their eyes. Yeah. Because if you're lacking confidence, that's the first thing that actually people don't really ever look at you, do they? 
No. But it's, and, you get, and, and it's the fastest way to conquer your fears. I think on a recent, on a previous podcast, we talked about this sort of it's a primeval connection through the eyes, and mm. and the, the person who does it first is the one who actually can be appear to be more confident in a way. You can, and you know what? Those are little quick fixes for confidence in the moment, and they work, and they're great. But I'm always much more interested in in, in helping my clients understand the thought process behind the lack of confidence and the bottom line is if you think other people other people's opinion of you is more important than your own opinion of yourself that's what you need to do business with yeah dead right because why why are we making everyone else god in our lives why mm. they're just other people with the same fears and worries and sleeping patterns and eating patterns and problems and you know and joys and fears and there's the rest of us mm. and when we make other people gods in our lives we're in trouble mm. it's true it's mm. true I mean, it, it's funny isn't it how we're all the same i mean and obviously there's a sort of a primary primeval reason for this and a sort of hardware yeah. software thing in the brain that makes this happen but it, but it is this, this thing about giving yourself the oh it's it's just so relieving isn't it we don't have to be quite so bothered about what everybody thinks of you all the time yeah, yeah. it's brilliant <laughs> it's, a, it's a real effort isn't it being that worried about other people and and especially in our world sometimes because you know we're putting ourselves out there and you know, training developing speaking yeah. any of those sorts of things and and people are literally look yeah. looking say is this frightening and no because actually none of you can do me any damage you can hold yes. a view of someone, you can hold a view of someone, but actually, so what? And people, people don't, don't get that, do they? And, it, and, it's, and you have to be brave. To, you have to be brave to take risks in order to, to challenge your own fears. And I like this idea that you sort of break it down into the, the bite-sized chunks, because that is the secret, isn't it? Yeah, that's the secret. The other secret, though, is again an underlying belief that life is no longer a competition. And, you know, uh, the reason people people's opinions, are, and of course people's opinions matter, of course they matter, but they don't matter more than my opinion of myself. Mm. But the reason is that is for that is I think because I don't feel like I'm in competition with anybody else anymore. I'm here doing my thing. I happen to be great at it. I happen to love it. I'm very lucky. Um, and it's a, an enormous pleasure to help other people find their thing that they're really great at. And, but I'm not fighting with others to try and be better than them or, or, or slot in or, or, or worse than them. I'm just being myself. And, and I want the best for everyone, genuinely. And so therefore, people's opinions can't really, they don't stick in, in the way that they used to, probably because I'm not attracting any negativity because I'm genuinely just chuffed for you if you're doing well. Um, but also because I'm swimming in, I'm swimming my own, I'm running my own race. I'm swimming in my own lane. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, again, you see there's this myth in our culture that life's a competition. We're brought up like that, you know, in schools. And it's, you know, yes, we all need a bit of healthy competition in order to develop and grow and, you know, innovate. And, but we're not in direct competition with each other. We're all swimming in the same soup. You know, it's a lake give... Give your good stuff to the lake of life and trust that, you know, some good stuff will slosh onto your beach. It's a far nicer way to live. Now, Joe, I have to take take issue with you now because you're really mixing your analogies. We've got soup and beaches. 
and yeah. swimming in soup and the beach of life. Is, I yeah. suspect I suspect a new book's in the stocks, and you'll play oh. with the title, aren't you? <laughs> oh God! I, do you know what? I was only saying to my partner the other day. I keep coming up with ideas for more books. <laughs> I can't keep on top of them. I can't write them quick enough. <laughs> Listen, you know, what, you, know, you know what I'm going to say this, and you know I'm saying this only to tease you, but you really should do better. So, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So, <laughs> thanks so, for that empowerment. There. That's no <laughs> problem. <laughs> I should have the invoices in the post. No. So, <laughs> jo so joking aside, it's it's, it's good. I I, I I think very similarly myself about having tons of ideas it's lovely to talk to somebody else who does as well well talking <laughs> to books i know you've written something that's um is moving seamlessly to this um, bit <laughs> tell me about the book you've already written before they tell me about the ones that you might write in the future okay um so i wrote a book um oh gosh i wrote it uh let me think now it's four five years four years ago four years ago i wrote it it was published two years ago um so, but probably five years ago, um, this idea kind of dropped into my head, literally dropped into my head. I'm going to write, the, 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 the title Flying for Beginners dropped into my head, um, and I knew I was going to write a book about managing the voices in your head in order that you can kind of fly free of them, I guess, is why it's called Flying for Beginners. Um, and so there, so the, the idea dropped in um, from nowhere. I then spent another the year kind of ruminating, gestating, um, you know, the, the idea. Um, at that point, my youngest daughter was still um, only at preschool, so I was only working kind of, you know, very, very part-time. Um, and then as she um, went off to uh, to school and my other two daughters were already in school um, and I was able to work a little more, I um, I started writing the book. And, you know, it, it poured out of me pretty quickly, because I think of because of all the gestating and the ruminating for so long. Um, and it's essentially a step-by-step -step guide to managing the negative chatter in your head. And, and it's a kind of proven technique really for dealing with that and managing that in order that you can have a, I suppose, a more, well, a more confident relationship with yourself, a more authentic relationship with the people you meet. Um, so yeah, so it was published a couple of years ago and it was, do you know what, Russ? It's, it's one of my proudest moments, that book being published. Obviously, the birth of my three kids, you know, proud moment, proud moment, proud moment. And then there's my probably my book. Because <laughs> it was, you know, as a former journalist, to have a book published is, you know, it's a pretty big thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm very proud of it. Oh, quite right, too. And and it's and for someone who w would want to read it, what's it's, it's all about getting rid of the inner scripts and it's all about... Well, it's not about getting rid of them, it's about managing them. Um, it's about understanding where that inner critic comes from, what its motivation is, and, uh, and finding and identifying and growing a kinder, wiser voice within you, which we all have. We all have it. Um, and once you've done that, you've then got a choice in every moment. Am I going to listen to this fear-based negativity, or am I going to choose to believe something slightly kinder or wiser or more objective now of course if you're about to be hit by a bus you want to listen to that inner critic telling you to get out of the road idiot and you would you know it's there to help us survive but when it comes to our emotional life i believe it speaks out of turn and there is something there is something healthier that we can be listening to so that's what it's about and it's a short book as well because you know i've read obviously in my career and as a human being, person, you know, going through struggles, you know, certainly in my 20s and 30s, I've read a lot of self-help books and 
then obviously it's in my training, you know, I, as, as you all know, you know, we get to read lots of self-help books and pretend that they're just for research purposes and they're not possibly going to be helping us, which is obviously utter rubbish. Um, and that a lot of them are quite lengthy, like really lengthy. And I noticed what was happening with me was I would sort of read the first third and then and then I sometimes felt, not always, but sometimes felt like, okay, well, kind of repeating ourselves here you know there's a lot of padding in these books so I've kept mine quite short so it's 20,000 words it can be read in two evenings um and then the principles applied so it's um it's a shorter book by design and you know what there's not many reviews on Amazon which are only five stars I know go me yay <laughs> and I didn't pay any of them either can okay. you actually believe it no yeah <laughs> but that's what's amazing is um is a lot of the reviews are like a really nice short book lovely slim book yeah. get straight to the action because you know we're busy people aren't we and I, I i you know you could pad and pad and pad i really didn't see the point um in padding so i've kept it short and i'm I, yeah i'm glad i did i think people genuinely find that uh, it's, it's a less daunting prospect to read a 20,000-word book than it is an 80,000-word book. Mm. Mm. Thank you for noticing all the five-star reviews. That's, that's good of you. You've done your research. Well, yeah, I clicked on the link. I'm not going to... I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not going to build my part too much, Joe. <laughs> right, brilliant. Okay, then. Um, so if people would like to get hold of you, obviously you can get the book via Amazon, but um, yep. if people would like to get hold of you, how would they do that? Um, so by my website, uh, which is uh, joe, J-O hyphen Emerson with one M, so E-M-E-R-S-O-N dot com. And I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but probably the best place is to start with my website. And so you, and so someone who, what would, why would come, why would someone come and see you in the first place? What, what, what would they be, why would, what would they, would they be thinking or having going on in their lives where they think, I need the services of Joe Emerson? Yeah, okay. Well, if it's, if it's obviously there's the corporate stuff, which is different, but let's just say an individual. Um, so my youngest client's 14, my oldest has been 78, but my average client is in the middle of their lives, in that kind of 35 to 55 bracket, and they're, they are waking up every morning with a sense of, is this it? So what they've sort of created on the outside of their life, you know, home, marriage, kids, career, you know, hobbies, etc., all lovely. There's a there's a gnawing sense inside that there needs that there's something more that some some of the stuff they're doing on the outside isn't rhyming with who they are on the inside, and they need a little bit of help navigating that transition. And the number of emails I get saying, oh, look at me, I'm having a midlife crisis, like a midlife crisis is some sort of thing to be scathing about. And I always say the middle of our lives is a, a, a stage where we shed a skin and it's quite painful and it's quite disorienting because what we thought life was suddenly doesn't quite seem to be what it was or we've evolved, we've outgrown some of the life we've built. And so people often engage my services to help them kind of land and, and, and navigate the, this new ground they find themselves in. Mm. You know, it's, it's, a more, it's a more cerebral experience of life, I think, as we get older. Um, but, but that's quite terrifying when you've been used to living just sort of physically in the world. How do you, uh, blah, 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 blah. What do you mean by that? 
I think, well, so Wayne Dyer, um, God bless him, and before he died in one of his later seminars, talked about there being a morning, an afternoon, and an evening of our lives. Mm. And in the sort of morning of our lives, we're very busy sort of learning how to be physically in the world. So, you know, it starts with tying our shoelaces and feeding ourselves and, you know, falling asleep, learning to fall asleep by ourselves and, and then going to school and then getting exams and then getting a job and finding a partner and buying a house and, you know, increase, getting better at our careers, increasing our salaries, etc., etc. And there's nothing wrong with all of that. It's all very, very necessary. But he talks about in the afternoon of our lives as we start to sort of think, you know, those things don't motivate us in the same way that they did when we were younger. Mm. And we start to question kind of what's the point of it all. We start to um, we start to need um, a more spiritual, emotional experience of life than we did. Maybe when we were younger and very busy ticking all of those other boxes. Mm. Um, and for a lot of people, you know, when they've got to the top of the tree, number of people I work with, you've got amazing jobs, amazing. And they're like, it's just not making me happy anymore. I, I need something else. But they don't quite know what that is. And they've sort of, you know, they've done the learning Tai Chi and they've done the, um, you know, taking the sabbatical and traveling. And, you know, and they're like, I still don't quite... Yeah, and often it's about giving something back or it's about a shift in career or, you know, it's about developing some sort of spiritual practice or learning yoga. I, I mean, it's not up to me to tell people what to do. But I think uh, certainly if we can then go inside ourselves a bit more in the afternoon of our lives and when we come to the evening of our lives, we tend to have a more peaceful, nourishing evening of our lives that's the theory and I've seen it outplayed many times very interesting we interviewed a guy called um, Charles Eugster who's very famous um, in his views of, of, of ageing and, and the elderly and, yeah. and he really he really it's interesting hearing that analogy again the way he described it because he really railed against it Oh, did he? Yes, in the sense that actually this after that's this sort of evening, this this twilight leads to your decline and an end. And well, that, okay, and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, I know you didn't say that, but yeah. um, but it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting just chatting about it. See that use of that language is fascinating, isn't it? Because he was, I think he was ninety four or something, and okay. on his fifth career, and. Yeah. And one of the key things he, and this very much stuck with me, and I know Janet and I talked about this quite a lot, is this idea that you just never retire. Stop stop retiring. Because as soon as you retire, oh, the really? incidence of depression, anxiety, and stress, and... Well, it's such an outdated like, model, isn't it, retirement? Very outdated, isn't it? Oh, listen, you, I wasn't for a minute. Didn't you, the didn't evening you, of your lives is a slower thing. Exactly. Didn't you actually say something about the fact that someone worked all their life earlier and then they got to 55 and dropped dead or something? It's... It's a, and, I'm going, and one of our financial guys who was talking about this said so many people do the model where they live their lives, work all their lives, and at the moment they retire, they drop dead and say to themselves, I should have lived Yes, my life. right, exactly. It's Which is why often in the afternoon of your life you're starting to think, yeah. oh, maybe I need to be working a bit less yeah. or working or a bit smarter or, more. or working differently yeah. or more because actually I don't... The, the drive is not just about making money anymore. Yeah, that's right. There's something more. And, you know, if, if we can sort of, um, if we can 
It's about how we relate to life. And I'm pleased for, I am not for a minute suggesting that the evening of our lives is, is some sort of twilight or anything. I'm talking about our, the emotional development stages we go through. And the people I know who have successfully kind of navigated this tricky afternoon midlife bit have very cool evenings. They're often doing work they love. They are, you know, often falling in love again, you know, with a second or a third partner. They are having rich experiences of life. Rich experiences of life. Um, You know, I I totally agree with you. I think the um, retirement model is, it, it just writes people off. And when they've got the most wisdom and the most to offer, I find it infuriating because, like, and so many of my clients for us say to me, oh, I'm like, I'm 42, I've got no choices left. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You could start over with a career, like you just said, with, you know, in your 90s, if that's what you choose to do. And do Have you, loads of careers, I say. Gosh, yeah. do it. And do you use that accent when you ask them that question? Just tell me. Just go. Is that part of the process? <laughs> Not, not normally. Just I saved that one just for you and your listeners. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. All right then, Joe. It's been it's been fun. It's been joyful and actually um, really useful. And I think lots of interesting tools and techniques. And I've and I've had a rampage around your website as you know because you and I chatted about this. And there's loads of interesting bits and bobs on there for people as well. And I think even a free ebook that people can get their myths on. Yeah, free ebook, but there's also a free little have a go at coaching little app thing that I've developed where you can literally scroll through ten very uh, pertinent questions and help you to just help people who've never experienced coaching before can have a little go online and go, that's what coaching does to my brain. Interesting. And that's totally free. There's not, not even any sign up for that. That's just a gift. So that's on the homepage if people want to have a look at that. Gifts as well. I mean, it's just a podcast that keeps on giving. I know. What can I say? I know. Jo, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank um, you for having me. Take care. We hope you found today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.